to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. So the midterms are over, although we may not know the full result for at least another month. In Georgia, Democrat Warnock is ahead, but he has not reached the threshold of 50% to avoid a runoff. Right now he's at 49.4%. And in Pennsylvania, the Democrats had a win in Pennsylvania in the Senate race with John Fetterman, um, who won by 50.3% against uh, Republican Dr. Oz. And in California, Gavin Newsom won the governorship by 58%. In Los Angeles, the mayor's race hangs by a thread. As we go on the air, the lead between Karen Bass and, and Rick Caruso keeps switching. So we won't know that one for a while in New Hampshire. Oh, then four Democrats with Maggie Hassan winning that race. Today, we're going to spend the hour discussing the midterms and getting some analysis from our guests. And the red wave didn't quite happen. Let's go to a clip now from MSNBC. The big news overnight, John Fetterman helps Democrats flip the state of Pennsylvania. Races remain uncalled. Georgia and Wisconsin, too close to call. Arizona, Nevada, and Alaska, too early to call. Democrats currently lead the count 48 seats to 47. Wait, wait a second. I know. Wait a second. Uh, what happened? <laughs> wait. I, I don't understand. Michael Steele, you ran a party. I did. In all your elections. I mean, I'm here because of an off-year election. Yeah. They usually even elect people like me, David Fluff, <laughs> in off-year elections. Yeah. I'm serious. There's always a wave. There was a wave in 82 and 86 with Ronald Reagan against Reagan. There was a wave against Barack Obama. There's a wave. Well, I don't understand this. It's not Democrats either. are still... Yeah. They still have a chance of holding on to the this, Senate? This wasn't even a good ripple. Come I mean, on. This, 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 yeah. There's and not a red wave. It's not a red wave. Maybe a little uh, bit of spotting. The, the that's it. Spotting a good it's puddle terrible. in some corners, that's about the best you're going to get. spray paint. Let's spray paint. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah that's hey, Donald Trump. Thought. Hey, Donald Trump. He doesn't watch. Meet Boris Johnson. <laughs> I mean, there was really... There was a coronation last night, probably as grand as King Charles III's coronation is going to be in the spring, and it was Ron DeSantis in Florida. Massive victory down there, right? Unfortunately, Donald Trump lost the rest of America. Now, I'm not going to say this is the end of Donald Trump, but there are a lot of Republicans this morning waking up going, wait a second, Ron DeSantis is winning Miami-Dade outright and winning 20 percentage points in this state historically? Well, Donald Trump is tweeting, cheering against Republicans. I don't think last night was a good win for Donald. No, it was a bad night for him. It was not a red wave. Don't take our word for it. Lindsey Graham was on NBC last night saying, whoo. This did not go the way we thought it was going to go. This was not a red wave. That's Lindsey Graham saying that. That's one thing. The governor's races that people were concerned about, New York, mm, Kathy Hochul right. held on here, Wisconsin, Ooh. Michigan. 
where there were election deniers running, they lost there. So Alrighty, election denial uh, lost. It, it was a huge night for abortion rights across the country. I mean, women voted in droves. In a number of states, that right is now protected. And in a number of states, that were unexpected. And it also drove a number of people to victory. So, yes, well, people said a few weeks ago that it didn't matter, that it was fading. It didn't, turns out that wasn't right. Number one mm. issue in exit polls in the state of Pennsylvania was abortion. Number wow. one issue for John Fetterman and also for Josh Shapiro, who won big. Mm -hmm. All righty. And so you had a taste there of the discussion on MSNBC. But we are going to be getting some discussion and analysis. Our guest today, uh, Barbara Arnwine, a veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate. She's really an icon in the fight to protect the vote. Also joining us is uh, Sam Weinstein, who was down in Georgia uh, working for Warnock in Georgia, and Alan Minsky, who is the executive director of the Progressive Democrats of America. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. Republicans hoping to ride a red wave to control the House and Senate are waking up disappointed this morning. If they do retake the House, it will be with a slimmer majority, not the blowout many analysts had been predicting. Control of the U.S. Senate awaits final results in four states, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia. If no one wins an outright majority in Georgia, as seems likely because of a third libertarian candidate in the race, there'll be a runoff next month. More from Catherine Carley. The U.S. Senate race in Georgia is too close to call. Incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock urged supporters to be patient as votes in the race against Republican and former football star Herschel Walker were counted. Well, uh, good evening, Georgia. Or, or maybe I should say good morning. Here's where we are. We, we are not sure if this journey is over tonight or if there's still a little work yet to do. But here's what we do know. We know that when they're finished counting the votes from today's election, that we're going to have received more votes than my opponent. We know that. Results are still being decided in several states. Republicans need just one seat to regain Senate control. I'm Catherine Carley for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Democrats prevailed in two important and closely contested Senate races. In Pennsylvania, Democrat John Fetterman beat Donald Trump supporter Mehmet Oz. Fetterman's election victory came six months after he suffered a major stroke. I'm proud of what we ran on, protecting a woman's right to choose. Raising our minimum wage, fighting the union way of life, health care is a fundamental human right. It saved my life and it should all be there for you, would you ever should need it. 
Incumbent New Hampshire Democratic Senator Maggie Hassan held on to her seat. In Ohio, Trump-backed Republican Senate candidate J.D. Vance prevailed over Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan. It takes 218 seats to hold a majority in the House. At the latest count, Republicans have won 197, Democrats 172. Although Republicans are still expected to win ultimate control, it won't be by the large numbers they had hoped for. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy waited until 2 in the morning to address what had been planned as a Republican victory party. When you wake up tomorrow... We will be in the majority, and Nancy Pelosi will be in the minority. That hasn't happened yet. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made a statement at 1.30 in the morning saying that while many races remain too close to call, it is clear House Democratic members and candidates are strongly outperforming expectations across the country. McCarthy at one point had predicted a gain of 60 Republican seats in the midterm elections. Kentucky voters have rejected a proposed constitutional amendment that would have removed any protection for abortion rights from the constitution of their deeply red state. 52.5% voted no. The state's interim executive director of the ACLU said the people of Kentucky have spoken and their answer is no. No to extremist politicians banning abortion and making private medical decisions on their behalf. More predictably, California and Vermont voters overwhelmingly approved measures to enshrine reproductive access in their constitutions. Montana voters turned down a so-called born-alive measure that would have required medical providers to try to keep a fetus from a miscarriage or abortion alive if it has a heartbeat or voluntary muscle movement after an abortion or delivery. Georgia Republican Governor Brian Kemp won re-election in his rematch with Democratic voting rights activist Stacey Abrams. Kemp prevailed with 53% of the vote to Abrams, 46%. Abrams told her election night gathering she will never stop fighting for a better Georgia. This is a moment where despite every obstacle, we are still standing strong and standing tall and standing resolute and standing in our values. And we know Georgia deserves more. And whether we do it from the governor's mansion or from the streets, whether we do it from the Capitol or from our communities, we are gonna fight for more for the state of Georgia. That is what we're here for. In Pennsylvania, Democratic Attorney General Josh Shapiro has won the gubernatorial race against Donald Trump supporter and election denier Doug Mastriano. U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner's lawyers say she has been sent to a penal colony in Russia to serve her sentence for drug possession. A Russian court rejected an appeal of her nine-year sentence last month. Police said they found vape canisters containing cannabis oil in her luggage. The Biden administration is trying to work out a prisoner swap with Russia. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And we're going to be digging deep into the election results, the implications of it. Uh, it seems as though, by all predictions, Republicans will hold on to the House. But there's a lot of surprise because the red wave just did not materialize. Uh, Democrats were able to hold on in areas that they thought they were vulnerable. And independent uh, voters and women 
uh, played a major uh, role here. And there were some key things that happened in Massachusetts, the first openly lesbian uh, governor, uh, Mara Haley is uh, now in, and uh, also in New York, the controversial attorney general, uh, Letitia James, who has been a thorn in Donald Trump's side, she has won a second term. But let us uh, quickly now uh, go to our first guest who was down in Georgia. I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, uh, Sam Weinstein. Uh, Sam is a retired official from the National Office of Utility Workers Union of America. When he was in Southern California, he served as president of Local uh, 132. He's now uh, based in London, a member of Payday Men's Network, an international and multiracial network of men, which works with the Global Women's Strike. And Sam uh, took the time uh, to be back in the U.S. He is a U.S. citizen, and uh, he was uh, down in Georgia. Sam, welcome. Hi, Margaret. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Okay, so Sam, uh, tell us a bit about your experience in, in Georgia. It's a real nail biter right now uh, because uh, Senator Warnock has not yet reached that 50% threshold, but uh, there is a bit of relief <laughs> that at least he is in the lead with the Trump-backed uh, Herschel Walker, a Black Republican. Sam. Yeah, I was um, part of the labor to labor program in, in Georgia because of my uh, trade union history. Um, and I spent a lot of time on the outskirts of Atlanta um, with a very uh, diverse multiracial uh, crowd um, of the households that I was going to were union households. Um, and I have to say the response was amazing. I think in the last week, uh, maybe I got five or six people that weren't interested in voting for Warnock and Abrams. Um, it was, there was a lot of enthusiasm. People were very much aware of how critical this election was. Um, and that included uh, whites and Latinos, uh, as well as the, the vast majority of African-Americans. So it, it was quite something to experience. People were really enthused. And I'm not surprised that Warnock is, is ahead. I'm, I'm obviously sad that he hasn't, uh, at least not at this point, that he hasn't gotten over the 50% margin. But I feel confident that in the runoff, um, people will be focusing on Georgia and other people will come into the state and help out and that we will win in, in, in Georgia in December if that's what it takes. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, a, a big disappointment with uh, Stacey uh, Abrams. And, Indeed, a very big yeah. disappointment. And, and I wonder how much, given the fight, I mean, two critical fights happening there, given the fight um, in the Senate uh, for Warnock, um, do you think that that perhaps had an impact in terms of how much uh, focus um, there was in the governor's race um, with, uh, you know, against Kemp, with Abrams against Kemp? Do you think one impacted the other? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, th I think there was there was no question that in, in people's mind, Warnock was the um, was the most important, that the holding on to the Senate 
was really critical in people's minds. But I do have to say this as well. Um, Kemp was, the whole Georgia Republican establishment kind of had to fight with Donald Trump on the January 6th stuff uh, and on the election last time. And I, that gave them a bit of a pass in some, in some people's minds, I think, um, which Abrams had to, uh, to, to deal with, right? So, but also there were a lot of Republican women, frankly, who apparently just could not stomach voting for, um, for Herschel Walker because of all the stuff that has come up about his treatment of his ex-wife um, and, and lying about um, the abortion uh, question. So I think all of those things played into the, in the difference in the, in the vote. Yeah, I'll, I'll bet. Uh, uh, Sam, just stay with us. If you're able to stay with us uh, just a little uh, longer there, we're waiting uh, for Barbara Arnwine uh, to get on the line with Mar us. But we Margaret, have... can, I, can I say uh -huh. one thing, though? I, I, I gather yeah. that the measure yeah, just, on... Just stay Sorry. with us, Sam. You're going to have another chance to, to speak right, as fine. I'm explaining. Um, what I'd like to do now is to... You stay with us, Sam. We'll like to welcome... Alan Minsky, Alan Minsky, Executive Director of Progressive Democrats of America, a lifelong activist. He's worked as a progressive journalist um, for several decades. He was the program director at KPFK in Los Angeles and regularly coordinated Pacifica Radio's national uh, political coverage. Alan, there's a lot more I can say about you. Alan, glad to have you on. We know it was likely a late night for you. Alan Minsky. <laughs> it is in an early morning and, and uh, you know, it's hard to digest the results. One of the reasons in particular around the House is, you know, the in recent election cycles, um, you and I certainly know, Margaret, as we're California-based, uh, the results that have come in after election day have skewed dramatically democratic. Well, this time around, it might not be so much that way, but hopefully it will from our point of view or my, my point of view. It should be, but will it be as exaggerated as recently? And the reason is because the way California counts the votes, they tend to count the early voting last, I believe, and, and they wait for all the mail ballots to come in. And I think Republicans were participating in that in ways they weren't in recent cycles, especially the last cycle. But that the trend extends further back. Now, if the trend holds true, the House is going to be very close. And we may see some really significant upsets, including long time, um, you know, a long time incumbent. Ken Calvert could lose that nobody expected. There were some incredible results for Democrats across the country, but there also were some disappointing results. Right now, it's quite possible that New York State by itself will swing the House to the Republicans. And the dynamic of what transpired there is, is very odd. Um, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, was speaking out about the crime wave, the disrespect for the police, and the Republicans used it to great effect to beat Democrats in New York State. And it looks like they're going to lose about five seats in the house. And, you know, was, I was in New York State recently. It was crazy to witness the Republican advertising. It's like, what does the a, a congressperson in the U.S. House of Representatives have to do specifically with the crime in the region? And almost nothing, right? And yet they were beating on it and beating on it and beating on it. And then also, the other thing I just want to say coming out of this election cycle, the Democrats won completely wherever they won because of the grassroots, because of activist mobilizations, because it was the primary instrument they had to go up against what was 
was an avalanche of Republican money, especially in TV buys. It was absolutely skewed all over the country. The Democratic fundraising, in part because I think going into the cycle, people thought with inflation and everything, the Democrats were going to lose. By the way, we saw all the retirements from the Democratic House of Representatives because everybody thought they were going to lose. And grassroots activists lifted up the Democratic Party across the country, and they took on what I think when someone like Thomas Ferguson, the political scientist, does his report on the midterms, will be one of the most skewed elections in recent memory. You'd have to go back to before Barack Obama to see anything close to this in terms of the amount of Republican money overwhelming Democratic money. And with that, I think the Democratic Party has to double down. And I think this will be a great winning message, including to independents and Republicans, oddly, that we get money out of politics in the United States of America. We need to right. do this. That The Republicans were even competitive. Was I mean, you went on YouTube anywhere in the country and you were blitzed with Republican ads. So that was a right. big uh, thing I get out of this election. Thanks, Mark. Okay, Alan, stay with us. We we want you to, to stay with us. Bill Gallegos is going to be jumping in to this discussion. But Sam, we know that you're traveling back. You're, you're at the airport. We don't want to hold you up too much. Um, but you wanted to finish your thoughts uh, earlier. And I, I wondered also if you had any response to any of what Alan Minsky raised, Sam Weinstein. What Alan said in relation to being a, a grassroots movement. And I think, uh, although Stacey Abrams didn't win. She has been a tremendous organizer and helped that movement. And I heard her on, on your program say that whether we do it from the streets or we do it from the governor's office, and that's exactly right. If we don't do it in the governor's office, we'll do it from the streets, and that's how we've been doing it. Um, I also wanted to say, point out that two and a half million people voted early in Georgia. But what really shocked people is that Democrats, they didn't expect the Democrats to be coming out um, on election day, but they did come out on election day. And so they got a much higher vote than they expected all the way around. I wanted to make one last point, if I may, which is um, I work in, in London on prisoners issues. And one of the reasons I, I wanted to uh, have my say, so to speak, in, in, in this election was because what happens in the United States affects all of us all across the world. And the eyes of the world are very much on Georgia and California and New York and all of these other uh, parts of the country where critical things are happening. Because what happens in the United States just makes a huge amount of difference to us. And I'm really delighted to hear that uh, the anti-slavery me measures for prisoners um, have passed in, I think it's in four states now, uh, last night. That's a tremendous victory, and we have to count all our victories. And I'll be taking that back to England um, and telling my prisoner friends that they're, they're winning in the United States, that there are some victories. And there was a big strike in Alabama in September and October over precisely the question of, of slavery and the horrible conditions in Alabama prisons. And so I'm really delighted that these measures have passed in several states now. Right. Well, thank you for that, Sam Weinstein. And we keep us posted on what's going on over in, in the UK. We know things are a mess right now from one government. Uh, Indeed. So we'll see how all of that goes. 
And uh, thank you for joining us, Sam. Thank you very much, Margaret. I think what we're going to do now, Barbara Arnwine has joined us. So has Bill Gallegos. Alan Minsky is still with us. And what I'd like to do is actually take our station break right now. That way I won't interrupt the next round of discussions uh, with the station break. On Sunday, November 13th at 3 p.m., there will be an exciting and informative COVID-safe online event featuring Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Horn will be discussing his latest book, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas, Slavery, Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism, contextualizing his discussion around current events. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. I will be moderating the online event. Please join Dr. Gerald Horn and I on Sunday, November 13th at 3 p.m. Call 818-985-5735, press 2, and ask for your ticket to join the Dr. Gerald Horn online event. Tickets are also available online at kpfk.org. All righty. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We also would like to welcome all of our the Pacifica flagship and affiliate stations across the country that carry Sojourner Truth. We really appreciate you. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at SoTrueRadio. And we are heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners who are environmentalists everywhere you are in the world. So thank you for listening to us. This is our post midterm election special. And our guests I'd now like to welcome Alan Minsky stayed on uh, with us, executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. I would now like to welcome Barbara Arnwine. She's an icon, really a veteran civil rights, human rights uh, leader and advocate. She's an icon in the fight to uh, protect the vote. She is currently president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition. For 26 years, she was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, and she is nationally and internationally uh, known. She's an award-winning uh, campaigner. And Barbara Arnwine has been on the road <laughs> on a bus tour um, with working on Get Out the Vote. Uh, Barbara, welcome. Thank you for having me. What a historic day. I am so delighted to be able to join the show on this of all days. Absolutely, uh, Barbara. And I'd also like to welcome with you uh, Bill Gallegos, longtime Chicano liberation and environmental justice advocate. He's the author of The Sunbelt Strategy and Chicano Liberation and Reflections on the Green Economy. He's also <clears throat> the former executive director of Communities for a Better Environment. Bill, welcome. Well, good morning, Margaret. I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to reconnect with my brother. Uh, in a long time. Okay. okay, so the three of you will stay with us for the rest of the hour. Barbara, we're going to go directly to you. Uh, but first, we want to get your response to the results thus far, and we want to hear a bit too about the bus tour that you were in, um, that you were just recently on, and just give us a bird's eye view on that, Barbara Arnwine. 
Oh, you know, uh, first of all, Jess, good morning to everyone. What an incredible morning. Uh, you know, when we set out on October the 8th uh, on the Art of Voter Justice GOTV tour, people said, you crazy, because uh, we told the nation we were going to do 14 states and 26 cities in 14 days. And we did it. And one thing that we knew from during that trip was we saw all of this mighty ground enthusiasm. We saw the young voters. Uh, we heard from them. We knew that there was going to be a real wave of young voters. We knew that African-Americans, despite all that we've been through, despite the harshness of the times that we've suffered in the last two years, that we knew that African-American voters were going to turn out. Plus, we saw low-income uh, voters, African-American, Latino, very interested in this race, especially the African-American low-income communities. We saw this. We saw all of this in advance. And I was, you know, people were saying when I would talk about it that I was misreading the public. I, But I said, no, I think I have a pretty good ground sensibility that I kind of know what people say when they mean it and what when they don't. Uh, also, we saw the women's vote. We saw all the evidence that there was going to be a huge women's turnout and give the students credit. Oh my goodness, all over this country, those videos that have populated social media from uh, the last uh, couple of weeks of young voters just turning out on college campuses. Uh, I mean, it's just been amazing. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am because the only way democracy is saved is by the people owning it. The people have to say, the heck with all this nonsense, all this, you know, oligarchy, all of this uh, autocrat, uh, autocratic, you know, nonsense, all of this authoritarianism. No, 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 we don't stand for fascism. We believe in a much broader, more just America. It's going to be there fighting for it. That's going to make the difference. And I am so delighted to see the young vote continuing to grow, grow, grow in America, because as it asserts its power, America changes. Right. Thank you for that, Barbara Ardwine. And Bill Gallegos, you know, we had a, a text exchange in which uh, you were saying should we, I think I responded by keep keeping hope alive. I mean, going into it, the predictions of this uh, red wave um, really, I think, scared the hell out of a lot of, a lot of us. Uh, but tell us your thoughts now, given what we know about the election thus far. Bill Gallegos. I guess one of the things that I realized about this, and we've probably, you know, started to recognize this since 2016, is you got to ignore the polls. <laughs> you just you know they're, just, uh, they're not yeah. predictive at all, and they I think they in some ways they 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 have a negative role in in uh, influencing people's morale in these elections. So that's one thing. The other thing is I think this is part of the marathon that we're running to defeat fascism in this country, and I think this is one for our side on the whole. This is a longer term struggle. Twenty twenty four is going to be a major watershed election, and I think we have to be thinking long term about you know what what. Uh, how we can build off of the victories in this particular election. I am concerned uh, just 
as being from Los Angeles and working in Los Angeles about the outcome of the mayoral race there. Uh, I think it would just be a, a horrible setback if this <laughs> multi-billion dollar developer with no political experience, with a history of being a part of the Republican Party, bought that election. But I, I feel pretty optimistic. I think Karen Bass, his opponent, African-American woman, who'd be the first African-American woman, first woman mayor in the city, will ultimately be victorious. But I think just the fact that it even became a close election, again, shows the uh, how problematic it is that money can influence and buy our elections or almost buy our elections. So that concerns me. That, but some good things, I, I agree with the idea that, you know, it, it took till 2022 to outlaw slave labor in Tennessee and Vermont, uh, you know, where uh, prison labor was virtually slave labor, and that was almost all black folks. So I think that's an important victory. I think that in South Texas, uh, where uh, Democrats won two out of three seats that were up for grabs for Congress, and the Republicans won only one of those because of just the horrendous gerrymandering that was approved by the Supreme Court. Uh, but I think, again, it kind of punctures a, a hole in that argument that Latinos are going to the right and Mexican-Americans especially are moving to the right and supporting the GOP. So I think that's, you know, there's some very, very good signs. I think the Fetterman victory was a big one. Uh, I think, uh, you know, they pulled out all the big guns. The Republicans pulled all, uh, uh, all the big guns to try to defeat him. And he was, you know, vulnerable on the health issue. But folks were wise and they recognized that what was at stake in that election. And it looks like he's got he's taken that that seat. So I think on the whole, it's it's this is one for our side. You know, there's obviously some things that are still uh, too close to call, but uh, it looks like the Democrats may actually gain a seat in the in the Senate. And I think the outcome for Congress is 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 it's not certain that the Republicans are going to take Congress. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I mean, this is this is the prediction, but that does not uh, make it uh, the case. I am wondering if we we. There was a discussion on MSNBC this morning, and I wanted to share a little clip of, of that discussion. If uh, that is ready, can we go to that right now? Election deniers got pounded last night. So what does that say about the, the, the American people writ large, but specifically the, the people on the front lines of those votes in those states? Uh, I think there was a lot of question about whether or not they would stand on that wall for democracy and, you know, succumb to the, the fancy rhetoric and the glossy look that a Carrie Lake would have. Uh, and they didn't. They said, no, we, we are better than this. We know what happened in 2020. And, and I think the idea of, of just going further into the crazy, yeah. folks just like, I can't, I can't. And I think yeah. folks are looking for, can we just stop yeah. doing stupid? Can we yeah. just stop pretending this stuff is real and focus on, and, and, and why that's important, Joe, to your point about governors, everyone focuses on federal elections and Congress. It's the governor's races where the people are closest to those candidates and they're much more in the mix in terms of the narrative. Uh, and that to me says a lot when all of those gubernatorial election deniers go down, it tells me that the American people are a lot more engaged than we believe they are, give them credit for. Yeah. And that was proven in some of the last pollings that we did in NBC, right. where democracy was the number one issue going into the weekend before the election. Right, MSNBC Morning Joe. Alan Minsky, uh, going back 
uh, to you here. Um, they're saying that election deniers uh, got walloped. Um, I, I wonder your reaction to that. I mean, are you as hopeful as they sounded? And also, Alan, I wanted, in addition to uh, what Bill mentioned, uh, any really good news on the progressive front um, uh, in terms of candidates that we have not yet discussed? Alan Minsky. One of the quirky things I've noticed throughout this cycle is there have been a few candidates who we've been very excited about at PDA who haven't really been embraced either in the media or by some of the other progressive organizations as being progressive champions. And one of them I want to lift up, and I know uh, Jesse Jackson Jr. had his issues when he was in Congress, but his uh, brother got elected down in South Chicago. And you look at actually his public policy positions, and they are as progressive as anybody's. And so Greg Gassar has been elected from Austin, Texas. Summer Lee was just announced as a winner, by the way, which is brilliant in um, defeating Mike Doyle. Well, let's not get into that whole thing. <laughs> um, the, uh, but yes, uh, the, the previous Democrat who won was Mike Doyle, and the Republicans ran somebody named Mike Doyle, probably making the election a little T bit closer. Tell us the way. state, Alan, for people. Oh, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh, right. Pennsylvania. And then okay. the other, the other, uh, uh, there's another great progressive champion in uh, Maxwell Alejandro Frost, one of the bright spots, a few bright spots from down in Florida. But uh, so the squad is going to expand. The progressive wing of the party and Congress is going to be stronger in that regard. Um, I, however, want to talk a little bit again about um, what we know going forward. Arizona and Nevada look very close. Uh, it does look like the outstanding votes in the Senate race are in Las Vegas. So that is hopeful for Cortez Mastow pulling that out. Right now she's losing, and that's a very, very important seat. And uh, and there's a possibility of holding on to the House. Certain states like New York, I don't know what how it goes with that sort of after-the-day numbers that get added in? Is it promising for progressives? Maybe some of those seats could still be won by Democrats. If we have the big blue lift that we have after Election Day in California, it's still conceivable that the Democrats could win the House. Now, it's unlikely. Okay, in Wisconsin, there's still a chance for Mandela Barnes. The outstanding votes are largely in Milwaukee, okay? It's a possibility. And there's also a possibility that Raphael Warnock could yet win on this day and not have to have a runoff because the outstanding votes are largely concentrated in Metro Atlanta. Again, unlikely, but possible. Here's the thing I want to say, though, and of course, this goes to Barbara Arnwine's incredible work. And by the way, Bill Gallegos, absolutely great to be on there with you, too. Great to hear your voice. We are missing an opportunity. If we get to 52 senators and hold the House, the Democratic Party is committed to passing the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the electoral related components of the For the People Act. Everything the Republicans do around the country at the state legislative levels, when you look at organizations like the Carter Center or even Freedom House, who talk about what is a good democracy, is the United States a healthy democracy? Every one of those measures in the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the For the People Act that the Democrats would pass through a filibuster carve out that Kamala Harris is committed to overseeing in, in other words, we have to get to a mansion and cinema proof majority. So we get the filibuster carve out. We pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Every one of those measures improves and strengthens American democracy in terms of participation and how the elections work. Every single measure that the Brennan Center lists that the Republicans have passed goes in the opposite direction. So we are possibly missing a great opportunity, um, but it has to be the goal that we have to seek. We have to continue to highlight this, this necessity. The Republican Party is going to be continually driving and wanting to be a party that rules the country while it is not receiving the majority of votes. And the way to, to inoculate that is the John Lewis Voting Rights Act 
And I think, of course, extending even beyond that, we got to get money out of politics. We've got to contain this damage that's done by money out of politics. And uh, we in Los Angeles know all about that. But that's the goal going forward to get that legislation at the federal level passed, um, really to secure democracy, to reaffirm and, of course, codifying Roe v. Wade, re reaffirming America going forward as a society of equals. Um, and the Democratic Party now is committed to these things. They recognize, they seem to really understand they made a mistake in not codifying Roe when they had opportunities earlier and also not passing things like, though I don't know that they saw the Republican Party would be this savage in its anti-democratic authoritarianism. But those are the goals going forward. It's a heavy lift to gain seats in the Senate in the next cycle. But hey, let's make it our goal and let's get there. Right. Thank you, Alan. And, you know, Barbara Arnwine, um, Alan, you know, mentioned your work uh, for um, the right to vote. And I just want you to talk a little bit about all of what voters were up against here. I mean, you have um, Republicans um, in, in Pennsylvania who've sued to disqualify thousands of mail-in ballots in, in, um, in swing states, including Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and there were others. So there was a lot that um, voters were up against, but also, Barbara, there was a lot of, and, and I also want you to talk about women and the impact of, of Roe v. Wade and what we have seen uh, happening in terms of protecting um, the right uh, to abortion um, in Vermont, Michigan, and California. But also, Barbara, there was a lot of concern about the shift to the right happening in the United States, like parts of Europe. I mean, we've seen that in the UK, we've seen it in, in Italy, we've seen it in Sweden, while south of the border, um, we're seeing in the opposite, like in, in Chile, um, in Brazil, uh, Bolsonaro lost narrowly, but a loss is a loss. And um, also you saw the president of Chile going to visit uh, Maduro in Venezuela. So it, some places in the global South seem to be going more in a, I suppose, left or center left direction, while some of the countries in, in old Europe, in Europe, as, as you would say, not only old Europe, uh, shifting to the right. And there was a lot of fear about that happening in the United States. And in particular, the elephant in the room, which is racist sentiment. Barbara. Absolutely. You know, racism is alive and sad and well in the United States. Um, we're seeing some of that. I mean, you know, the fact that the Mandela is doing so well is, uh, you know, quite a, a statement. But think about it. All of the white damn men are, we are solid winners. Uh, you know, in Mandela coming in the same party, same vote, people split to not endorse and not vote for the black men. Uh, so we still got to know this racial reality, the fact that the Dems did not invest appropriately and a whole lot of black candidates, a whole lot of Latino candidates, they left stranded. They should have put more money into those races. There's no doubt about it, that there were some you know, misinvestments, some great mistakes. I also you know, agree that we have to you know, pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and the Freedom to Vote Act. We need those like yesterday. Uh, and that's the only thing that's going to stop the ugliness of fascism in this country. Uh, we also 
I want to say there's one thing that I haven't heard the pundits talk about today, but I want to talk about it. And that is the reason why democracy is the number one issue uh, in America's, Americans' minds is because not only have they seen this attempt by Trump and others to normalize right-wing fascist extremism, but it's also because of the January 6th commission, give it its credit, had it not had all those hearings, had it not really crystallized what happened on January 6th, had you not had a Benny Thompson with his class and his sophistication and his incredible intellect, had you not had a Liz Cheney, you know, same to Republican, especially Republican women, we got to stop this. Had it not been from a Jamie Raskin, uh, you know, I need people to understand that that was critical. I mean, look at the millions and the millions and millions of Americans who watched those hearings. Those hearings were essential and history will record that they were absolutely crucial to our attempt to stop these anti-democracy forces and our attempt and our continued fight for a just and multiracial America. So I want to say that. Also, I was so happy to see Rovember. Uh, you know, people are saying, no, nah, those women aren't going to come out. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But they came out and they voted. They voted to make sure that women's reproductive freedom lives. They voted to make sure that women had greater equality uh, in the workplace. They voted. I mean, I saw that, you know, we, if you look across, I think when we look across some of the measures, we're going to see uh, that democracy won in a number of these initiatives across the country. I saw only one bad one uh, so far uh, uh, that was, you know, on the uh, voter ID, but all the abortions, uh, votes went the right way, it appears. And also, you know, the whole, you know, protecting workers in the workplace, those kinds of issues were resonating. I think that this speaks to a future. I mean, people talk about resurrecting the Obama coalition. I think you got to realign it, that you got to uh, strengthen and build a real, very strong pro-democracy movement in the United States, consciously, not just, you know, I vote, but consciously, I'm going to hold people accountable, consciously, you better pass uh, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act. you got to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. I think we're going to see uh, a real movement, and I want to give a shout out to every election protection observer in the country, because uh, Margaret and uh, Alan and others, I don't think you know this, but we ran a command center yesterday and took calls from all over the nation. And one thing that frightened me so bad to watch it was that it was clear that there are people in this country who want to take us back beyond 1965. Uh, we saw literacy tests. Have you? Can you believe this? Wow. They administered a literacy test to Latinos only in St. Paul, Minnesota. That is outrageous. They literally made every Latino voter re uh, read, read in English a oath that they had to swear to before they could vote. N nowhere else in the county of Dakota did they do that. 
Uh, you know, this is where these people's heads are. They want to go all the way back. We also saw in one polling site in Lucas County uh, where they told uh, husband and wives to vote together. Uh, can you believe this? Uh, because they said the lines were too long and so husband and wives should vote in the same polling booth. What do you think that does to women's ability to express themselves? I mean, I we saw stuff that didn't make sense. We saw, you know, um, you know, the and most people in the country don't know that the night before uh, uh, yesterday's vote, that in Mississippi, seven, seven fires were set throughout the city of Jackson, many near polling sites. I want people to understand that we're looking at some craziness. And that's why it's so important that we consciously enjoy the moment we're in, build it stronger, and understand that we got to consciously build a pro-democracy movement because the forces of opposition are beyond ugly. They are beyond uh, you know, retrograde. They are dangerous, and we have to absolutely fight for our democracy. Right. We need to build a grassroots movement, build Gallegos. I wondered if you, you, I mean, it's shocking hearing what Barbara Arnwine is reporting about a literacy test uh, for Latinos. But uh, Bill, I also wanted you to uh, comment on this, because if you look at the, um, the governor's uh, races, um, you saw in Texas, uh, Greg Abbott, um, famous for shipping immigrants uh, to New York City, um, beating Beto O'Rourke. This is the sixth loss, I think, uh, for Beto. And uh, in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, basically, they're describing it as a sweep. There's been a lot of controversy about the Latino vote and the percentage of uh, Latino voters that were trending um, Republican. And I, I wondered if you wanted uh, to comment on that and also on some of the voter suppression um, shenanigans that Barbara mentioned, Bill. Yeah, well, thank you, Margaret. Well, I, I think, you know, we, we always have to look at the Florida vote a little differently. I don't think we should concede anything uh, to the right anywhere, but we understand that the, the, the Cuban-American vote is, is, is an overwhelmingly Republican vote. And because of their particular situation, they don't face the same hurdles as immigrants that Mexicans, Salvadorans, Nicaraguans do when they come here. Almost the day they step on the shore, they're, they're almost at the polling booth. So I think that's an anomaly compared to a Mexican-American, like uh, Chicano, uh, Puerto Rican, and Central American communities. So I think that's, if we look, and those are the three largest Latino populations. Uh, they, they represent some 45, 50 million Latinos in this country, and they're overwhelmingly working class, and they're overwhelmingly Democratic voters, overwhelmingly like in the 70 to 75 percent range, which any political party in the country would die for. So what I think we have to do is build off of that. And I, you know, I, I uh, appreciate Alan's caution, but I remain optimistic that this election may turn out uh, in favor of a congressional majority for the Democrats and uh, in the Senate. And, but I do not at all rely on the Democratic Party leadership to do the right thing on John Lewis, on the PRO Act, on immigrants, immigration rights. They will have to be compelled to do that. And I think now is the chance 
for the Progressive Democrats, Move On, Dreamers Organizations, Hotel and Restaurant Employees Union, which did fantastic work in these elections, uh, National Nurses United. In other words, a broad united front to really um, continue organizing, but really to put pressure on the Democratic Party to advance those things that we wanted, that we've that overwhelmingly the majority of Democratic voters want those things. They want Medicare for all. So I think that it's this has turned out you know, much more in our favor than anybody had anticipated. But we have to see this as an opportunity to build our forces and to advance our agenda. If we just, uh, you know, we're going to re- wait around for the Democratic Party leadership to do this, it's probably not going to happen. They're going to go into their old routine of, kind of reaching across the aisle, and if we get anything, it'll be so watered down that it will not be of that great benefit to our communities. So I think now is the time to redouble our efforts at both building our unity, because we're still too we're still too divided. We need the move-ons and the PDAs and and all of the other organizations to come together in a common effort towards a common agenda. And if we do that, I think we win. Yeah, and uh, clearly divided and and what happened in Los Angeles with those racist and anti-indigenous comments by some city council members. I think people in in Los Angeles are still reeling from it. I mean, it made uh, national news, but clearly one group being used against the other is a very, very old playbook. I'm afraid we just have. And I'm Los looking Angeles at the clock. Is, is, and Los yeah, go, go on, Bill. We've got the, we've got like about a minute and a half left. I'm just looking right, at the clock sure. here. Uh huh. Well, I was going to say Los Angeles is a textbook example of where the white power structure continues to dominate in all the major governing bodies: the board of supervisors, the school board, and in the city council. In a city which is 70 some percent people of color, it's just outrageous, and it's not democratic. And now we have a chance to rebuild what has been a fractured, a very heavily fractured Black-Brown alliance to rebuild that in the fight for democracy. Barbara is absolutely right. That is our task now, to be the leaders in the fight for democracy. We have to expand the Board of Supervisors. We have to expand the City Council and expand the Board of Education so we don't get played. Asian Pacific Islanders are 12% of the city and the county, and they don't have a single seat on any of those bodies. That's outrageous. And we will be played Latinos against Asians, Blacks against Asians, Blacks against Latinos, if we don't expand those bodies for real democratic governance. Right, and and also face the reality in our communities and sometimes even in our own families of these yeah. kinds of our racist uh, sentiments. Uh, Barbara Arnwine, I'm afraid we have like 30 seconds to go. We'll give you the last word. Sorry about that, Alan, but we'll no have problem. all that. Yeah, no problem. Barbara. The future is in the hands of the Gen Z generation. Uh, I really believe that they have a much more progressive viewpoint, advantage point. You voters are, you know, about to be the largest voting cohort block in the United States in 2024. They are progressive overall. We have to work that generation to understand that they are the pro-democracy movement of the future. We got to invest in that generation. All of its multiracial components is the only way we're going to have a truly just racial, uh, multiracial America in the future. They are our base. They are our investment. Black women keep on doing it. You know how to show people what needs to be done. We are going to do this thing. I just love 
this panel. Thank you so much, Margaret, for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara, uh, Bill Gallegos, Alan Minsky. Um, just really fascinating. I appreciate you joining us. Sorry to be out of time, but we are. And today's show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our board op, Gary Baca, Sojourner Truth, who will be back on the air tomorrow. Um, you're going to stay tuned for Democracy Now! But if you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Remember to get your tickets to hear uh, Dr. Gerald Horn, The Counter-Revolution of 1836. You can bet he has a lot to say about this election. Go to kpfk.org and get your ticket. That's going to be this coming Sunday. Uh, stay tuned for Democracy Now! Thank you for listening. You all stay well and safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Thank you.